Well, Spencer. Yes. I can finally announce some of my good news. Yes. Because apparently other people were announcing this, so I guess I can announce that I am going to be published in Horoscope Volume 3 coming out in October, the 20th of October. It is a horror anthology with a astrological spin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's exciting. I could announce it at least, because I got that one like a month ago. Right. But I didn't know that when, was one of those things you can, because a lot of times they don't want you to announce until the thing drops. Yeah. But this one, I guess they want you to promote it or whatever. So, okay. So other people doing it. So I said, I, I'm in this now. We'll keep you up to date. I'll remind people closer to the time that comes out. Yes, yes. Other news, I finally got that copy, which I don't think we talked about on air ever. It is a book by Hollow Point Press, I believe. It is called Vermis, and it is an art book that is, it's kind of hard to describe. It is set like an old RPG strategy strategy guide yeah. for a game that doesn't actually exist, hmm. a game called Vermis that the artist just created. So it's kind of cool because it gives you an old retro like Nintendo, Super Nintendo style but then uh, it doesn't actually exist. But a lot of people that read this book, because it keeps selling out like quick, a lot of people that read this book, uh, they end up doing like D&D campaigns with the stuff that's oh, in it. Oh, yeah. Like they use it, you know, the characters. and I don't know how D&D works, but people are using it. But it's a pretty cool book, so I highly recommend people checking that out. Let me uh, make sure I got that publisher right. This is by Plastiboo. It's Ooh. the guy who uh, does the doodle in here. I guess he did the whole thing. I got too many books on my desk. Not enough books on your desk. I need a new desk for just straight books. Yes, another book desk. Lots of book desk. Uh, this is from yeah, just Hollow Press, not Hollow Point. Mm. I think I was mixing that up with Source Point Press. Maybe yeah. So just Hollow Press. If you check that out, look. If you just look up Vermis, V E R M I S, you'll find it. I actually originally found this book because I randomly stumbled across a YouTube video. It was like a mini documentary on it. Mm. Like somebody was just covering it and it was really interesting. I ordered it. And because this is, uh, I want to say UK, but could be anywhere in Europe uh, where the publisher is, it took like two months to get here. Oh, wow. Yeah, it took a long time. I almost forgot about it. And then it came in the mail. And I was like, yeah. Hey. One, or, one other order of business, Spencer. Okay. So what involves you? Oh, wow. What are you on your current reading? I know I gave you that Yukio Mishima short story collection. Are you almost done with that? I read the first short story. <laughs> oh. Well. Why? I, I, I brought that up because I assumed you'd be at least halfway through by now. Uh, so I gave that to you last week. But uh, my plan was, because I'm almost done with the Odyssey, I'll be okay. done with it either tonight or probably tomorrow. All right. I was going to start reading The Plague. Okay. And we could read that. But if you're not close to done with this book, I don't know. Maybe I'll read something else. It don't matter. I mean. Got to read The Plague, though. I mean, I'm, I I might be. I'd probably read The Plague quicker. <laughs> well, because I'd, I would maybe be on the second or third story, but um, I started to read the uh the comic book book club that we go to's book. Right. Because I'm probably going to have to let you borrow my copy. Okay. So I wanted to get it read and out of the way. So I'm almost like, I'm almost done done with that. Like that, That's what I spent like, today at work reading. Mm. So I only have like a few issues left of that. But I mean, like with that being a mini, or a, you know, a collection of short stories, I can always, you know. Go back to it or yeah. just read them here and there. Whatever, man. No big deal. Just thought you wanted to read The Plague by Albert Camus since you were the one who bought the copies. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, so, folks, if you want to, we'll do an episode on that. So, if you want to read it, start now. Yes, for when we're not sure when it's going to come out. So, you prepared? Probably end of the month, August. Yeah. I don't think it's it's like 300 pages, but it's shouldn't be that hard of a read. I mean, if it's like The Stranger, it shouldn't be. It's a different, uh, I'm assuming it's a different, tra- I didn't look up the translator for The Stranger. I think it was different. I did look up the, you know what I did? I looked up the translation that had the opening I wanted. Because we discussed that before, but I didn't look up the actual specific uh, translator. But I looked up the translators for this one some months ago. And this new one, I think her name is Laura Maris, you said? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Apparently, it's an energetic, exciting one. I don't know. I just picked it because uh, on the Reddit forums I was looking at, people were... There's only two other uh, English translations, and the one is, like, not so good. Or, like, the original one, it's hard to follow or something. I don't Mm. know. And then I heard the second one, there's mixed reviews on, so I figured, let's just go with the new one. That's so weird about when it comes to, like, translations. Yeah. It could just be shit because yeah. of the translation. <coughs> Drinking a spicy pickle beer. <laughs> it's called uh, Spicy Pickle Monster. Yeah. It's got, like, a pickle instead of Jaws, like, coming up from a briny jug. And I think it's going to eat a woman? Is that a lady? Ah, oh, she looks like Miss Frizzle. <laughs> Why wouldn't you have her naked like Jaws? Or, like, a pickle. Anyway, uh, we have an episode about comedy. Maybe. Maybe. If that's what we were talking about. I think we are. Uh, so stick around for that, and we will be back after these musical introductions. Welcome to the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Queef Queen of Queef... <laughs> Queefland. <laughs> Spencer, the Queef Queen of Queensland Church. I thought you were going to go Queefville. I couldn't make up with it. I had to use a real place. Queensland Queefer. I, f- I, I thought like- about Queensland Queefer, but you could have been the whole queen of yeah. queefing. I-, I feel like you... You might be hitting the bottom of the barrel. I feel like we did queefing, you know, not too long ago. Mm, you might be right, but I'm out of ideas. Mm. What could we possibly use instead of queef? No, that's fine. That's right. fine. We'll come up with it next time. Well, now we'll just do queef again tomorrow, next week, too. <laughs> queef all month. Yeah. The month of nonstop queefing. What are we talking about? Oh, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> no. I was looking up. What's the deal with comedy? <laughs> Spencer last week said, hey, why don't we do an episode about how to write comedy? And I said, that's a fucking shitty idea. Yeah. Shot him in the face. Uh, it's very violent. Yes, no. I, des- I deserved it, though. He, he's, he's regenerative. Yeah. Regenerative. He can regenerate. So he did not die from the gunshot blast in the face. Unfortunately, no. Maybe next week. But I did decide to use his ideas, as I usually do. And I looked up comedy writing articles, and I found way too many that featured the works of Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, I get Seinfeld was a big show, but why is Jerry Seinfeld like the go-to for comedy writing? Especially now. like It's been yeah. 20 years since it was over? And his stand-up kind of always sucked. I mean, yeah. it wasn't the best. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't the best. It was It was like the whenever somebody's like, the what's the deal, or have yeah. you ever noticed... Like that was literally like if you know in the beginning of all those episodes that's what the the skits were always. It just makes you think of mullets and big white sneakers. Mm. So Spencer, 
Do you know how to write no. like a comedian? You have to think like a comedian. Mm. I have seven tips to help you improve your writing. And this is sponsored by James Patterson and David Mamet. Oh. It's it's master class, that's why. <laughs> I don't think they're sponsoring it. They're just on the master class. But they're all over this article. Yes. I don't when I think of funny, I think of James <laughs> Patterson. All right, so the very first thing you have to do, and this will probably coincide with stand-up comedy in general when you're writing your jokes, you have to hone your observational skills, Spencer. Did you know that? What? Your observational skills. What? Huh? What? Huh? 20 minutes later. (laughs) Huh? If you want to write funny stuff, you want to write novels that are hilarious, uh, you have to be generally obsessive catalogers of human behavior. Not a very funny way to say that. No. All that yuck's going to be in this article, I don't think. you got to be creepier to watch people. Yeah, we don't have to get into it. Basically, watch people, find what they do that's funny, that you can use in your day-to-day life. And I would say, even if something very minute happens to you, you can make it funny by exaggerating the event. And how do you exaggerate? Watch stuff and go, you know what would make this funny? Mm. And then you just make up shit and make that happen. And also... Finding those little moments that, like, everybody has. Yeah. I mean, I do, that's what I do give Seinfeld credit for. The everyday, you know, relatable jokes. At least, you know, of the uh, mid to late 90s anyways. Mm. That's what I always thought it'd be interesting if they just, for like, even just like a season, did like a modern Seinfeld. Just to see what the, like, that kind of stuff, what they could do now. The main problem with Seinfeld is almost every episode is solved by cell phones. But I mean, like they could. I mean, problems could be caused by cell phones. Now. Yeah, because you know, be like, man, like, you, I texted him, I got no text back. He didn't text I, me back. Yeah, he didn't text me back. What's well, the deal? That? You text a guy, he doesn't text you, you back. Yeah. What a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Take him to the jerk store. They're all out of him. <laughs> oh. I'm combining George and Jerry for some reason. <laughs> What's the deal with that? When you text someone and they leave you on red, yeah, no. what a fucking jerk. <laughs> The next tip here is to twist your cliches. Now, this is a good one just in writing in general. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use cliches, throw a twist in there to change the cliche so it's really no longer a cliche. It subverts what the expectations are for the joke or just your story in general, even if it's not supposed to be funny. So if your audience has an expectation where this is going to go because you're using a cliche that they recognize, if you do a twist, a twist, you can... uh, Lure them down the wrong road, and bam, that's when you get them in the butt. And then, like, uh, and I don't know if, if they'll talk about that later in the article, but I think, like, another thing that could go along with that is, like, is messing around with, like, stereotypes. Yeah. And just not, like, just not racial stereotypes, but, you know, just, like, the everyday, like, fine, like, you know, like, there's the the easy jokes when it comes to, like, a certain kind the of... The low-hanging fruit. Yeah, but, like, find that other one where, like, you know, people might not even have realized it until you brought it up, and then they're like, oh, wait, that is what they do, or that is, like... A lot of comedies of recent times, ha- uh, comedians of recent times, what they have done, they will hook you with the stereotypical joke, mm-hmm. and then do a twist at the end, yeah. either make it about a different, like, say you're doing a, a racial joke, you'd make it about the uh, the opposite race that the mm-hmm. joke you thought was about, yeah. or make it about yourself, or you do some kind of twist that makes people go, oh, yes, it caught me yeah. off guard, and now I am laughing at something that I probably shouldn't be laughing at. Rip. Uh, next up, experiment with sentence structure. This mainly just goes along with the way, especially if you're doing jokes, uh, to way, the way you could tell it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so if you're in your story, you want to say something funny. It's very the most obvious way to do it is to just have it up front. And oh, he shit his pants. Mm-hmm. That's not very funny. The guy just shitting his pants. I mean, yeah, if you were there, it's funny. But like, just to say, oh, Clark was running down the road and then he shit his pants and he fell to the ground and cried. Well, that's just kind of sad. <laughs> but you could make that hilarious yeah. if you rewrite that in a different way. And uh, especially if you could say he shit his pants without saying he shit his pants. Yeah. The more creative, the better. He uh, If his defecation ran down his leg he, as he yeah. flottied through the streets. If he was a Hershey bar, he had melted in the sun. Like it's just like <laughs> things like that. Like you could change it up and you could make it funny, but you could make it also very dire and dramatic by just going with he shit his pants mm. and cried in a heap, or uh, he soiled himself. Mm. That would be like you could go the opposite direction. So the more uh, serious you take it, the less you have to. No pun intended. Stay away from the potty language. So you can't say he shit himself or. He, you know, messed his trousers. You could maybe get away with that, but uh, you'd have to go. He soiled himself. He messed himself. Something like that. If you wanted to be serious, this, this, those are the times when I wish, like you know, um, New England, like uh, like European. And then he'd be like, he shatted himself. He shatted. Uh, another good way to go about the yucks uh, when you're using that kind of language, or you're just going into that kind of joke, uh, especially in your writing. But this probably, I would imagine, works even better in stand-up comedy. You hold off almost like a punchline. Mm-hmm. So you hold off on the whole shit bit until mm-hmm. the very end. So maybe you build it up like it's a serious moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy maybe he's running for his life or something. You don't know. And then once everything comes down, he realizes he shit his pants. That's yeah. the funny tension-breaking right. relief. Again, no pun intended. Next up, Spencer. Use funny-sounding words. That's there, kind of a given. There are there are words that just sound funny for no reason. That aren't funny words. Like tabernacle. Yeah. That's not a funny <laughs> word at all. But it is. But it just sounds like it should be. Uh, there's names like that, too. If you're telling a made-up story, I like to use the most ridiculous-sounding names that shouldn't be ridiculous, like Abernathy mm-hmm. or uh, Hogarth or just any weird-sounding name that probably isn't weird from the wherever the area the people come up with those names are from. But to you, it sounds hilarious. Mm. Uh, but yes, uh, I like a lot of... Do you have any specific... Clavicle almost is one. Clavicle, yeah. <clears throat> um, Coxus is a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, your butt yeah. bone. Conflabbit, Dagnabbit, those are classics. Depending on the situation, combustible can be funny or mm. serious. Yeah. That's the ones I like are the ones that could be both. Right. Combustible could be hilarious depending on what made something combust. Yeah. But it could also be awful. Yeah, it so, could be a big explosion. Yeah, there's like a car fire and a baby combust in the car. Like, that's not funny. <laughs> no. I mean, you laugh because you're sick in the head, but that's not funny. <laughs> but uh, if you, you know, you can also do it like the guy shit in his pants. His yeah, pants combusted. combusted. Yeah, he, shit. he had a combustion in his pants. Yeah, he had a brown combustion. Use contrast and incongruity. I don't know what incongruity exactly means. No. And the use of contrast here throws me off. Let's uh, look deeper into this one. So add something light like a man obsessing about his briefcase instead of the T-Rex looming behind him. Joke writing often plays with contrast, and you could do the same in your novel or short story to keep your readers interested and engaged. So basically what you're doing is you want to have, going back to the man shitting his pants, you could focus on him shitting his pants, which is funny, but he shit his pants because he's running away from a drive-by shooting. Like, that's more serious. You could have a contrast. Again, tell. It's specific how you're telling your story, too. If you're actually writing just a novel that's like a comedy novel, or if you're writing a serious novel that you just want to have bits of humor thrown in, that's a different kind of comedy you have to add. Mm. You can't just have, like, 
ridiculousness in those kind of serious stories to the point that it just takes the reader out of the seriousness. You have to be very uh, specific with how you go into that because I've read I've read novels where like certain scenes have taken me out of the story because it's like, well, that's just like really stupid and yeah. funny. <laughs> when like you could also I've had novels where it's like, oh no, that just broke the tension. I, right. That was good. Like Cormac McCarthy, if he wanted to, could throw a couple of those in his mm-hmm. books and it would have been all right. Well, I think, um, and you know, I always bring him up, but I, I think Stephen King's good with that. Like he'll yeah. have like this crazy stuff going on, and then there'll just be like a line or two or something will happen where it kind of, like he said, like breaks the ice a little bit, and you know, brings it down. Yeah, and- because if you just way too serious, like a, a lot of times that's uh, that's a recipe for depression. Mm-hmm. You know, the audience is not going to like that necessarily. And even if you look at classic literature, like these big war and peace type of books where people are like, oh, those definitely can't be funny, right? There's actually humor in most of that stuff. Yeah. It's, again, peppered lightly, but just enough to break up the monotony and off, you know, awfulness can get monotonous. Yeah. If everything's so depressing and terrible all the time, you will eventually just be like, fuck, I don't want to read this mm. anymore. And I'm sure if if we don't, it, the article doesn't bring it up, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but also when we're talking about the different kind of comedy writing, those are also the satire yeah, writing, satirical writing, which is um a whole nother kind of uh bag of worms, can of worms. You worms. can get so good at satirical writing that the reader doesn't know it's satire, and yeah. that's when it's hilarious, right. but also always misconstrued as something else. Right. So that's when you get people reading like Onion articles as they're, like they're serious, right there. and then they get like infuriated about mm-hmm. something ridiculous. Uh, you can get to that level in your novels where. I would say um, Kurt Vonnegut was always good at toting mm-hmm. that line. Like uh, Slaughterhouse Five is a good example because mm-hmm. it's kind of satirical in nature and it's funny, but it's still very dark. But he did it in such a light way where it's like, okay, this is palatable. I like this, well, but he- you know that it's not supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes like the like the every time somebody or something dies, he always says, "So it goes." Yeah, or like the absurdity of it. Yeah, just the moroseness is so over the top that you're like, you have to laugh. Well, it's even- like gallows humor. Yeah. Even the, uh, what was the other Vonnegut book we... Sirens of Titan. That had a lot of, like, humorous kind of overtones, especially the beginning of it. Yeah, he was definitely a humorist. Um, And Mark Twain, in the same vein, was like, obviously, we talked about him many times, but, uh, like, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, those are supposed to be funny, but also very serious matters are discussed. Mm -hmm. This last bit on this article is utilized, the callback. Callbacks are good. I like when... Like comedians are able to meander for a while, mm. and maybe even like Dave Chappelle, what he does is he'll bring up some kind of main point at the very beginning of his routine or near the middle, and then at the very end, he'll his final punchline well, will be a call back yeah. to that. I don't think he always did that, but he's definitely has done that in his recent uh specials. Uh, Norm McDonald, he his callback necessarily wasn't what made him funny, he did a lot of jokes where he would do callbacks, but. What I loved about him is you had these long meandering stories for no reason that went yeah. nowhere, yeah. and the whole point of it was that it was stupid. Yeah, and it was like a very dumb pun or just a very terrible joke, and that's what made it so fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's because he wasted jo- everyone's time. That's the joke. That's what's funny is you set up a gigantic joke to waste everyone's time. So you can do that in a novel, something that has because a lot of times they say, "Oh, you have to have a payoff," but the anti-payoff is also yeah. hilarious if you do it right. So in your novel, you can have like a character. I wouldn't recommend the whole novel being about this, but like, say you have a side character who has this story arc unfolding, and then at the end, the payoff is super lame <laughs> for them. Like, you just build it up and up and up, and then it's just like the stupidest thing. Or you could do a callback where 
uh, at the very end, you find out like, oh no, the characters just exactly where they were at the beginning. Right. Nothing happened nope. for them. They suck ass. Yeah. I want to see what uh, your buddy Jerry Seinfeld has to say uh, on the matters here. Okay. I feel like my S's are sharp today. I don't know what's going on. Computer's sharp. My headphones might be turned up. I don't know. I don't know. You just spray all that air into the thing. I sprayed air into everything. This one goes more into script writing. Uh, and this one is in a bulleted list. So bear with me here. Uh, but this is Jerry Seinfeld's opinion on uh, writing. Well, what somebody said Jerry Seinfeld's opinion is. I think this is actually him. I mean, I don't think he wrote the article. I think they interviewed him or something. Uh, so here's his five tips. Take a typical situation and exaggerate it. Yep. So that's basically how you write a joke. If you just tell something verbatim, for, like what happened, it's not very funny. Hmm. Like, I was at the mall, and a guy dropped his chicken, and he said, oh, shucks, and then that was the end of that. No, you, you know, you can... Amplify that. I mean, that's just a good rule for writing anything in general. Exaggeration. Uh, two, let tension build. Uh, we kind of discussed that already. But yes, if you uh, don't let the tension build, then the joke usually will fall flat. You, uh, The longer you can keep the audience in suspense for the punchline, uh, the more hooked they'll be. So that punchline will hit harder. Uh, whether that, like we talked about the payoff or the anti-payoff, you can hit either one of those uh, depending on what you want to do. Uh, use specificity, be specific. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, you want to be specific with your writing. Um, again, this depends on what you're writing and how you're doing it. But if you're trying to tell something that in a funny way, the more specific you are, especially if it's joke telling, the more the audience will be lured in. Uh, they'll hang on your every word. Mm-hmm. You could be too specific. Yeah. You could, uh, you know, have too much detail, but you, the right amount, it'll do you good. Uh, four, embarrass someone. Uh, so this is, must be like audience heckling or something. Yeah. And in a novel purpose, you can embarrass a character for well, a cheap laugh. Well, I'm saying, well, if he's talking about the show, there's always somebody was getting, you know. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is more script writing. Uh, and finish with a bang. So yeah, have your big punchline. Oh, he you has, mean don't just have everybody go to jail at the end? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here is a breakdown of each one of these. So number one, the exaggeration. They use, Greg is visiting his girlfriend's family. This is a typical situation. And at some level, it's something we can all relate to, but it's exaggerated by Jack's CIA background. This is uh, Meet the Parents they're using. Mm. Why they picked Meet the Parents and not a Jerry Seinfeld episode, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so that's what, uh, probably because it's a show about nothing. Mm. Uh, so yeah, because Jack's a CIA former whatever, uh, that makes it hilarious because now there's all this tension throughout. Uh, so number two was take uh, let tension build. Say you're the writer of a story like Meet the Parents and you have a great structural conflict between two characters, Jack and Greg. How do you take that tension and build it? Well, start by putting the two characters in close proximity. Uh, if you really want to go extreme, you could have like a super Republican redneck and a super lesbian liberal stuck in a bank fault. Something stupid, I don't know. And then at the end, they become best friends. That's how stories unfold now. Yeah. One doesn't become racist anymore, and then the other one becomes more tolerant of rednecks. I don't know. Uh, they both drink Bud Light. Number three, so the specificity. I can't say that word. Specificity. Nope. Specificity. Nope. Mm-hmm. Getting closer. Maybe. Specificity. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm reading Greek again. Uh, so the specificity. So be specific, Spencer. Uh, it's a double-edged sword in comedy writing. Notice how Greg is wearing Jack's pajamas with the little JB insignia on the chest pocket. That's funny. 
Notice how there are a bunch of pictures of Jack undercover in the CIA. That's funny, and it's funny because it's not forced on us. That's you know, that's funny. Did we? Did Did Jerry find Seinfeld write the script for Meet the Parents and just nobody know? I don't know. I I highly doubt it. Jack embarrass. This is the embarrassment one. Jack embarrasses Greg by asking him uncomfortable questions. Situationally, this is funny, and it's elevated by Robert De Niro's great deadpan delivery. Like, can you milk me? Yeah, I have nipples, Greg. Would you? Can you milk me? And what was the last one? Finish with a bang. Like Jerry Seinfeld said, always save the best joke for last. It's an ex- expectation in comedy writing that you're going to end with a bang. In this scene for Meet the Parents, it's when Jack asks Greg if he watches porn. Mm. While I found those movies okay, I don't like that nervous agitated energy kind of comedy. Yeah. Like the... uh have been still comedy. Yeah, that neuroses. Like, I never liked that. That whole, oh, man, something bad's gonna happen. Or, oh, I'm watching... I got caught watching porn. Just be like, yeah, watch porn. Fuck off. Like, yeah. that, it's so easy to just be... Like, everything in that whole movie, any of those movies, like, if you're just normal. Yeah. Like, if you just was like, okay, you know what, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Like, like me or don't like me. But, like, I hate that. Oh, you have to like me. I have to make a good impression. Like, that stuff is not funny to me. Yeah. Well, and, and like anything, like those, uh, like that, the first one was okay. Yeah, it was okay. But then when it got to like meet the fuckers and meet the whatever, like the third, and they, they do a fourth one, I don't, I don't know, but it's just those ones, like you know, it just gets too much. Yeah, it's, it's not very good. And it's also like, what's more weirder, me watching porn every now and then, or you giving me a lie detector test about watching porn? Like, what, what, you know? Yeah. What what's more weird here, old man? Yep. Yeah, that's the thing about it too. It's like, yeah, the lie detector. Obviously, that's the weird thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if you were just not a puss boy, you'd just be like, dude, I'm taking a lie. What are you fucking yeah. stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this? Fucking idiot. And then they, then he'll hate you. But who cares? Yeah. He probably respect you. Yeah. So when you're writing comedy, I think another good thing. This works for both stand up comedy and uh, novel writing or short stories. As in comedy, it would be know the room. Yes. So while most jokes aren't off limit, they are if you're in a certain crowd. Like, you have to go by your crowd. Again, you bring it up Norm McDonald. I think he was banned from the state of Iowa <laughs> because, because he went there during, like, some kind of family event. He wasn't allowed to swear, and he immediately opens with, like, a horse fucking mm-hmm. joke or something. So it's like, yeah, you could, you have the freedom to do this, but that you have to know your audience. Mm-hmm. If you want to make them actually laugh, you can't just be shocking to be shocking, you know? Yeah, so read, read the room. Yeah, so when you are... Writing your book, you have to know, well, what's the audience that I want to be reading this book? Who's this aimed at? And you have to steer towards that. If you just go, I'm going to be over the top and expect everyone to like this, that's not going to happen. Well, that's like uh, from around like a lot of people that I don't know or like friends or friends that I kind of know that I'm very like I'm not, you know, I'm not very talkative. I'm not very outgoing because like I don't know if what they react to the to the kind of things that I was, you know, would yeah. say, like, you know what I mean? You can't like, just go in with your A-plus material yeah. for a, a C-minus crowd, you know? Yeah, like, like, I don't, like, some people might not like the joke about going through and punching all the babies and, the, you know, in the yeah. offices or whatever, but... You can't just go in any situation and blurt out your best abortion joke. Yeah, like, fucking yeah they, they, they might not like it, like... I mean, even on the podcast, we try to steer it a little lower than what mm. we are outside of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't go in our A game on this because there's a lot of listeners we don't want to alienate. Yeah, right. Because, you know, we have a broad audience, so you have to be more broad in the way you discuss things. And if you want a niche audience, then you have to go that route. 
Um, I found another list we can cover real quick. Okay. 14 types of comedy. Ooh. This is just to be a little more broad. So number one, jokes. Jokes are short mm. stories or one-liners that consist of a setup and a punchline. Bad jokes. For instance, my grandfather has the heart of a lion and a lifetime man at the zoo. Mm. Uh, I like, uh, you know, I, that's mm. stupid. I don't like that. Uh, two, situational comedy or sick. Situational comedy or sitcom comedy is a type of humor that draws laughter from funny and absurd situations. Example, uh, farce, which often features ludicrously absurd situations. Okay, uh, it wasn't really an example there. Is that my phone or yours? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, oh, mine's always on mute. That's weird. Three, romantic comedy or rom-com. We all know what those are. Dark comedy, that's when you, uh, it's more us probably. Yeah. Not, you know what? As I get older, I do stray away from the dark comedy dude to a degree. It's not that like, I don't think the jokes are funny. I think it goes again with the audience. Where, like, I see things where people go real hard on a joke. And, like, you, we always said each other those one podcast guys that could do that. But oh, in yeah. that situation, yeah, it's funny because you clearly tell they're joking. Yeah. But a lot of times I catch guys online and it's like, I know you're joking, but the, you're just, like, in a crowd or something saying mm-hmm. this. It's not that funny. Right. Like, just in the place and time. Whereas when in our early 20s, it just, like, seems funny all the time. Well, because you're you're young and stuff, you yeah. know, you're... You don't really think about the mm-hmm. other people that could be affected. Like... You know, somebody tells a 9-11 joke, maybe in our early 20s, I'd be like, oh, that was pretty good, like the punchline, that was yeah. pretty funny. But then when you're older, it's like, well, you're saying that in a crowd of people in New York, there's perhaps a good chance Jeez. some of those people well, lost loved ones in 9-11. Yeah. Maybe not the best joke to tell. So I think a lot of people just get less funny as they get older. Yeah. Maybe it just happens to the best of us. Uh, number five, cringe comedy. So this probably goes with the... Uh, well, I don't know, because they use Curb the, Your Enthusiasm as an example, but that's like confident cringe, like Larry yeah. David. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I'm an asshole, and I'm going to be an asshole. Mm. Seinfeld's the same way. You have a whole group of assholes being assholes, but it's funny even yeah. though they get themselves in situations where like, you can't do that yeah. in public. You're a dickhead. <laughs> but we, like, we the meet the parents. I don't like the Ben Stiller cringe kind of mm. comedy or the Woody Allen where it's like, oh, what do I it, do? Yeah. Jason, uh, not Bateman, um, American Pie. Oh, yeah. Um, what the fuck is his name? I, I wanted to say Jason Bateman. That's not him. And then I want to say Jason Schwartzman or whatever his name yeah. is. That's the guy from Rushmore, I think. Uh, Jason Biggs. Yeah, Biggs. He he toes that line, too, because he could be over the top. But even when I rewatch the American Pie things, I'm like, just fucking calm down. Yeah. Like, why are you all jittery and coming in your pants all the time? Like, I don't, right. that stuff I don't think is very funny anymore. And even back in the day, I did, because I don't like embarrassment humor. Mm. Like, when you see, like, those cringe videos, like, someone on the news and they fucking, you know, flub something r- ridiculous, say a bad word or yeah. call somebody a racial slur on accident, and you're like, oh, and everyone laughs. Like, I never think that's funny because I'm just like, that's embarrassing. See, well, when uh, when you said cringe, I immediately went to, like, the office. See, but that's, like, confident cringe. Yeah. That's, like, well, again, it also depends, like, what you're watching or, or what books you're reading. You kind of know the situation. But, like, a lot of times... You could catch something that's supposed to be cringe. Usually, it's like reality type of stuff, yeah. like or th- just things that happen to real people. Now, like you see on TikTok, like oh, I'm gonna ask out my gym crush, and then you get horribly rejected, yeah. and then for some reason you post the video on TikTok. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm why? just like oh, like that's not funny to me. That just no. makes me feel bad. But like I guess a lot of people get off on that. Uh, six satire, which you discussed. Seven parody, which is uh, one we don't talk about enough. How do you write a good parody? Ask Weird Al Yankovic. He right. seems to have gotten that down. I think the way to do a parody, there's two ways. Be over-the-top ridiculous. Think of your scary movies, your weird owls. Airplane. Airplane. Or be really, just really good. Mm-hmm. Like, you could do a parody that's funny, but it has to be, like, really well done, and it could be a little more serious. 
Uh, but it's still like now you're thinking of like Mel Brooks kind of. Yeah. I mean, Spaceballs, it's over the top. Like you think of that kind of humor, you can uh, tone it down and still have it really funny, and it'd be like you know taken slightly more serious. You, you know what? And I, this just kind of popped in my head when you mentioned that. And it's probably not full-blown parody, but it's kind of parody. But, like, I almost kind of feel like the like the Deadpool movies. Yeah. To a certain extent, because they're... It's like a parody of the comic book genre. Yeah, and the comic book movie genre and, like, and all that stuff. They're, they're poking fun, but especially with the character of Deadpool who breaks the fourth wall all the time. But that's actually an example of it's over the top. Like, even the first Deadpool, he has very serious moments in yeah. the movie where he's like, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So it's enough to, like, not just be ridiculous all the time. Uh, number it has the highs and lows. A lot of times with the comedies, just you highs. need you need that low to bring them up. It balances out. Yeah. The, again, the contrast. Yeah. But you know, if you like an airplane, there's no serious moments. But it's a classic. But again, what's the contrast of that? The deadpan delivery of Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. He's the straight man. Mm-hmm. You have to have a straight man. If everyone was sniffing glue and being ridiculous, yeah. it wouldn't be as funny. And sometimes the straight man, even though they're supposed to be the straight man, they're like the funniest yeah, out of you, it all. <laughs> Um, I think the biggest takeaway of the contrast and what it's like to have no contrast would be those, uh, those, uh, not another teen movie, but like that, that genre movies. Mm-hmm. Cause like they're ridiculous parodies of, you know, popular movies and stuff like how scary movie was, but especially as that franchise took off, it got so ridiculously yeah. stupid and there was no straight man anymore. Everyone was just over the top and then they're not funny anymore. Trying to th- like there were so many of those like there was the uh, that Spartan one or yeah. I f- I can't remember the names of any of those but like you know not another blah blah movies yeah. epic movie like Disa- that, disaster movie was disaster there. movie yeah that just all ended in the word movie number eight self deprecating humor this really works uh, on all fronts if you especially like if in stand up co- comedy so say you're like a buff good looking dude or a hot chick. It's going to be hard to get people to l- relate and laugh at you mm-hmm. or laugh at your jokes, rather. But that's why a lot of those people come out with self-deprecating mm-hmm. stuff. And then that brings people to their side. Because I'm uh, I like I find myself like you the, like you going through the Instagram and you comedian and stuff. And there'll be like a, you know, a female comedian doing whatever. And you're like, is it funny? Is it funny because I think she's attractive? Is it yeah. not, <laughs> is it not funny because I think she's attractive? Yeah. Like, it's really it's, it's tough. Uh, another where uh way that works, um, which I've been seeing a lot, are like disabled comedians. Yes, they usually come out because they know now people are gonna feel bad for mm-hmm. them. Like, like there's a lot of the cerebral palsy; they can't walk, they mm-hmm. barely talk right. Like they have like a, some kind of impediment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they use that to their advantage, and they bring that out forefront. Um, Ralphie May, he was really fat. He used a lot of fat jokes. Like D- those, the disabled ones when they're doing like the roast battles, battles and you, and the and the and the disabled person slaying somebody, it's just like oh, oh yeah. that makes it so much funnier for some uh, reason. It's good. Uh, you know, I oh, I wish I could remember his name. It's Brad something. The uh, he's like a dwarf. Oh yeah, and he does like a whole bunch of midget mm-hmm. jokes, and then people give him shit for making midget jokes. He's like, I'm a midget. <laughs> yeah, he's like I can't say shit to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. but like that guy's hilarious, and he's oh, he's at the um to me c- comedy wise when I see that guy, he is at Peter Dinklage level where it's mm. like I don't even really see as a dwarf anymore, dude. Right, You're just yeah. really good at what you do right. now. Uh, so that they, but the self-deprecating, especially when you're unknown, is a good way. Uh, and again, that's probably harder to do in your work, like writing. But you can have the characters in your work be, be self-deprecating, yeah. which will make them more likable and relatable. 
Uh, as Norm Macdonald once said, because he was a very, very smart man that people never, because he always played the dumb guy. Mm-hmm. And he credits David Letterman for this, because David Letterman apparently always played the dumb guy, too. But, you know, here's Norm Macdonald, who's like the stupidest guy, and he's always reading Russian literature right. and shit. But he said that you can't be smarter than the audience, because like nobody likes somebody smarter mm-hmm. than them. And I think he was almost poking fun at like the Bill Maher and maybe even Dennis Leary. Oh, yeah. Because they were always like, I'm smarter than the audience. And people were like, well, fuck you then. Yeah. Like that, because you come off smug. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a smug guy. You know who's smarter than the audience that didn't come off that way? George Carlin. Oh, yeah. Because he was a relatable guy. And he wasn't really self-deprecating too much either. No. Like he had a little bit, but he was just, he told it as it is. Yeah, know, he was direct. His, his was more a lot about the things and around him and stuff. Yeah, so like people could get on with that kind of behavior. Uh, nine is insult comedy. Like we're talking about the roast battles, and they bring up Jeff Ross and the roast stuff. That's another one too. As I get older, I cringe at a little bit. Not the roast battles, like because that's like you both agree to do mm-hmm. that. I used to be a big fan when I was growing up. I was, I was a little kid. The Friars roast. Yeah, I used to catch all the reruns on like uh, Nick and Knight or whatever right. it was, and they used to have the infomercials for it. And then like you could watch like a whole like bits, mm-hmm. and I love that. But it was like kind of harmless ribbing. Mm-hmm. And then I started watching the Comedy Central roast when I got older. And over the years, they've just gotten like to the point, And I think Jeff Ross is at fault for this a little bit. And it's funny because he doesn't even do it that much mm-hmm. anymore. Like he's at, you watch him anymore and he, when he's on there and he's not that harsh. Mm-hmm. But some of these people, they just make these jokes that are just straight up offensive. Yeah. Like I remember Amy Schumer. It was one. I forget who was being roasted, but because they usually do everyone mm-hmm. on the panel. Yeah. Steve-O was there, and it was right after Ryan Dunn died. Yeah. And she made the joke like, oh, we were saying, oh, poor Ryan Dunn. Why did it have to be him? Why couldn't it have been Steve-O? Oh, yeah. why wasn't it Steve-O? Yeah. It wasn't even a fucking funny joke. Yeah. It wasn't executed well, and everyone was just like, really? But they do that more and more where it's just like, no, no, you're just being mean. Yeah. There's a difference between, like, funny uh, ribbings and being mean. Yeah. You have to know, like, if so, say if you're at one of those things, and, like, so a lot of those guys, like, I remember the... uh Again, I don't know if it was Seth Rogen or... I forget who... James Franco roast. No, oh, yeah. He had a lot of his buddies there, so I think Seth Rogen was there and, and stuff like that. And those guys could go that hard because they're friends. They, yeah, they actually know each other. Like, but when they, you have, like, the Amy Schumer and the Stevos, like, they don't even know each other. Mm-hmm. You can't make jokes like that. A lot of them, you know, say something about Mike Tyson being a rapist or something. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of fucked up to say if you're not that person's friend. You don't right. kind of have the okay to say that, you know? My problem with a lot of the the new modern Comedy Central uh, roaster people that are getting roasted are people that de- don't deserve to be roasted. That's what made those old roasts so good is because they were the most of those guys were near retirement. Like yeah. they had a history, and it was like an honor. Mm-hmm. No, but, like, but like roasting Justin Bieber, like fuck that. Like gives a shit about. They just did that because the ratings. Yeah, or like they roasted Trump the one year. It's like fuck Trump. Yeah, he was before he was president. So it's right. like, why does anybody give a shit about the Apprentice guy? Uh, so they're very hit or miss. Sometimes they get big name guys. Sometimes they just get fucking shit people that you don't care about. And another thing about those roasters too, I don't like the whole newcomer roaster, which they've done over the years, where they get like a newer comedian that nobody knows, oh, yeah. or someone that you don't even know is funny, and they go out there and give their best material. And sometimes they they shine and they do all right. But I just like in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so let's say we got uh, Robert De Niro on stage. And we got some fucking no-name comedian that doesn't have a show or anything, and nobody really knows them. 
why are they talking shit about Robert De Niro? Yeah. Like, why do you get, like, the thing about the Friars Rose, everyone up there was somebody. Mm-hmm. It would so, say, you know, you had Dean Martin making fun of Frank Sinatra. It wasn't right. just some fucking schleb that came off the street. And like you said with, like, the Seth Rogen stuff, they all knew each other. They were all friends. That's yeah. What, that's what made the stuff funny. Exactly. And you just get someone that comes in and just as, like, the one year I remember they had, uh, Ann Coulter on there. Oh, man, that was terrible. Yeah, and she like, well, obviously she bombed, and she was there for everyone else to make fun of mm. Super Hard. But then it was like, well, that's just negativity both ways. Mm. Nobody likes this bitch. She's not a comedian. Why is she up here? Because people, you want to see people just make fun of some bitch nobody likes? And it's like, that's still not really that funny. It's like, I just, I don't understand the purpose of that, because then it's just like, oh, we're just having a sacrifice. Yeah. We're just going to have one awful person up here that everyone can make fun of, and then when she comes up, we all boo. It's like, so who's that good for? That just takes away from, again, that's another thing, too. It's always about these shocking jokes at these rows. But what like shouldn't it still always be focused on the person that you're honoring? Mm-hmm. You're roasting them because they're supposed to be your buddy. But we've gone away from that in the comedy. With everything in the fucking mm-hmm. world, it's like we've gone away from the origins, and now we just shit the bed and just do awful things. Compacted the bed. Compacted, combusted Call the back. bed. Call <laughs> back. Combusted the bed. Number 10, physical comedy. From the days of Charlie Chaplin to the Chris Farleys to Melissa McCarthy. Uh, who's the modern uh, Pratt Fall guy? Mm. Huh. I feel like Melissa McCarthy might have been the last one that I can remember that's... Maybe. You know, did comedic falls in the physical comedy. Right. Uh, obviously, you know, you go to like the Dan Aykroyds and stuff from back in the day. Uh, the, the John Belushi's. Chris Farley's like the most memorable one because he was so good yeah. at it. But I'm trying to think, like, what's what's a modern... Cause Jim Carrey was another. He was a physical comedian. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't do that so much anymore. He doesn't really do much anymore. Not too much. He's in Sonic. Yeah. Shit, who's... There's got to be one. Right? Like... We don't have we have no physical comedians anymore? Uh, that got to be somebody. Even Chevy Chase was a good physical comedian when he was young. Yeah. He did all the falls and stuff on Saturday Night Live. Like, who the fuck? Nobody. There's got to be somebody. Somebody. I'm trying to even think of, like, the SNL people, and I can't think of the... I mean, it's Chris Farley always called it the fatty fall down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it doesn't have to be a fat person, but that, that helps in that genre, I guess. I can't think of anybody who's real good, like the Mr. Beans of the world. Like, right. where are the modern physical comedians? Yeah, that's a good question. Is it a dying art form? Maybe. Maybe because the CTE, nobody wants to do it anymore. Yeah, nobody wants to take the dives. Before this episode ends, I'm going to look up physical comedians and see what comes up. Uh, let, This is a long-ass list. I didn't know there's so many kinds of comedy. 11, surreal comedy. Uh, that's when you use uh, absurdism and stuff. I think like Monty Python's, uh, you know, the Life of Brian or yeah. the Holy Grail. You bring up these situations that are so over the top and absurd that it makes them hilarious. You don't really have to go too deep into that one. Twelve is wordplay. This is with your double entendres, and uh, they even use one here. I never worry about diets. The only carrots that interest me are the numbers you get in a diamond. Ugh, that's mm. terrible. That wasn't a good one. Well, that's a dad joke. 13 is blue humor. This is provocative, sex, sexual, and, you know. It's like they say, they're going blue. That's the thing. You know what? I think that's where modern comedy fails, too. We're pretty much in a generation of just blue humor. Yeah. Like, it's just straight blue comedy. Because I think the old days were good because you had a mix. You had your clean comedians. You had your Jeff Foxworthies and your... uh uh, Jim Gaffigan's even, if you want to go a little more modern. But nowadays, who do you got that's a, a, a clean comedian? Yeah, I'm not sure. 
and by clean, I don't mean that they don't, you know, have their entendres and things like that. It's just they don't specifically go out of their way just to be raunchy. Yeah, they use like they don't curse words. Or the Amy Schumer just only talk about your vagina for yeah. forty five minutes. Like, okay, we got it. You have a vagina. Tell a fucking joke that isn't about your coochie. Uh, number fourteen is anti humor. Uh, do they give an example? Is that is is it just like a picture of Amy Schumer? I think this is purposely done no. anti humor. <laughs> not oh, so they use a man walks into a bar. Ouch! It's mm. anti humor. Again, bringing up Norm Macdonald because as he's passed away, it seems that I found out he was a great genius in comedy that most people didn't give him credit for because he was the he excelled at most of those things. He even excelled at the anti joke because he would purposely tell jokes yeah. that were so bad. That he actually did, when we're bringing up the roast, he, the roast of Bob Saget, he did a whole bit where he just read dad jokes from the 1930s <laughs> to Bob Saget, and everyone fell flat and just bombed, and he did it on purpose, but he stuck with it the mm-hmm. whole time just because he's just like, fuck this roast, you yeah. know? Because they told him to go real hard and be a jerk. He's like, no, that's my buddy. I'm not yeah. going to be a jerk. He's like, no, go and cuss him out and say fucked up things. So he went out and did the exact opposite mm-hmm. and just went full anti-humor, and that's what made that the only set anyone remembers from yeah. that roast. Because I do think it wasn't, wasn't Saget like, fucking losing it during that, too. Like, yeah, because it was so stupid. It's like, Cloris Leachman's here. She says she's a vegetarian, but she's full of baloney in my book. Like, just <laughs> yeah. What was the Gilbert Godfrey one? He was like, Gilbert, when you go to use the restroom, you see the sign that says, gentlemen, pay no heed, just go right in. Yeah. They don't have scoundrel mark, you know, yeah. like just dumb shit like that. So anyway, oh, I was going to look up physical comedian. I'd say, will you do that? I think uh, we 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 can just do a quick like listing of like uh, maybe some comedy programs that- That do writing well? Yeah, like uh, we offer, we're talking about like one of the big, biggest ones is they get no credit is, is South Park. Not only is the comedy writing so well, but just the writing in general. Well, they've touched on everything on that last list, Yeah, too. I was just going to say, like, that whole thing, They you can find that all in one episode of South Park. Like, they do the satire so well. They've done parody mm-hmm. so well. They've done the contrast with the highs and lows mm-hmm. and the serious nature of jokes and how you can make them funny and also make you cry at the same time. Right. They've done literally everything, and they've been around forever, which is why... Uh, one time you probably could have said that about The Simpsons. Yeah. For like six seasons or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, another show that's coming back, which I don't think you've watched, which I don't know why the fuck you wouldn't, mm-hmm. Futurama. I've watched some. I, I'm not like as, like, I don't think I've seen like every Futurama. Yeah. You need to go back because they just, they're coming back out on Hulu, I guess. Yeah. But Futurama was like, as far as I remember, every season was pretty like excellent. And I mean, if I just have to remind anyone, remember of uh, Fry's dog on the series, where oh, yeah. you know, a whole funny episode, and in the end with uh, the dog waiting for him for eternity mm-hmm. for him to come back, and he never does until the dog dies. Like, ah! like so that show was able to just kill you, but also mm-hmm. be hilarious. Some of the lesser known shows, I think, like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah. Uh, those are like the absurdism, mm-hmm. like many most of that stuff on um like Robot Chicken, yeah. like the Adult Swim, Adult so. Swim stuff were like that. Always, it's always sunny. Yeah, I'd like to I give a shout out. Say, always sunny because especially now because like now they have like a, like kind of like South Park. They have a lore now. Yeah, that they can go back and do all kinds of callbacks. Yeah, okay. I just watched the newest episode and they brought back all my favorite characters pretty much. Nice. Yeah, they had the McPoyles. Oh, so the old, McPoyles. Though. Yeah, they were <laughs> in a bowling alley. The, the, the waitress, Artemis. Yeah. Like, just, oh, it's great. I got a list here. Slap, modern slapstick comedians. Okay. Zach Galifianakis. 
And I think of the hangover as he got busted up. I guess. I don't remember him falling through any tables, too. But he but, got beat up by Mike Tyson. That yeah. counts. Uh, Rachel Bloom. I don't know. I, I never. I don't know if I know who that is. Ty Burrell for Modern Family. I don't watch Modern Family. So yeah. I don't know. Jillian Bell, Idiot Sitter. Don't never heard of it. The name sounds familiar. Adam Devine from Workaholics. I didn't know that guy was a physical comedian. I know he's like a little outrageous, and yeah. but I don't remember well, him. I think in the movies, in, in some of the movies, he gets a little, little bit more man. like beat up and stuff like that. Yeah. Abby Jacobson from Broad City. I watched Broad City, and I, I, I see. Maybe it's because I am literally comparing these to like the Chris Farley's, like the over, the, like these guys mm. were hurting themselves. Yeah, the Jim Carrey's, like you watch Old Living Cover Color, and he does like a split or something. Like mm. he hurt himself. There's yeah. no way he didn't. Okay, have you found one? This is one I will definitely say, but it does it shouldn't count just because one the age. Because you know I feel like if we're doing modern comedian, someone in their seventies, almost eighty, mm. shouldn't count. But Danny DeVito. Has yeah. turned into a he wasn't always a physical comedian. No, but he does a lot of physical gags on that show for yeah, his he age. Does. Ike Barinholtz, I guess he does like a lot of physical comedy. Chelsea Pretty from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, which one's that one? I think she's like the Puerto Rican one oh. or something. I didn't say because like I've recently have got into watching. She that plays. Show. Uh, she often plays a foil to Captain Holt. Um, oh, is that like the secret? Like the secretary, Gina like? Linetti. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I don't think. I think that I think that's the one. I never that, watch that show. I think that's the one that's married to um um, uh, the guy, the director from Get Out and all that. Um, Peel. Jordan Peel. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Camel from Jane the Virgin. I don't know him. Joe Lotruglio from Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know what? That guy. Yeah, he does. I get, never knew his name, but yeah, he, he does physical comedy because mm-hmm. that he's the. For people who don't know him and never watched Brooklyn Nine Nine in Superbad, he was the guy that runs over Jonah Hill with the car. Oh yeah, and he's like kind of goofy. That's why I remember him from man. Cause he's weird looking. Not weird. He's like a guy that you looked at, you wouldn't think twice, but yeah. something about him does seem kind of weird. He's like a normal looking person. All right, I'm gonna go to I'm going to the, to end this episode the deep dark web of Reddit. Ooh, because uh, I was not satisfied with that list. So let's see. Ooh, Reddit. Ooh, yeah. Oh, no, they're actually bringing up modern comedies that are physical, like MacGruber. Oh. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth and Thor, they said, was a good physical comedian. Ryan Gosling. I'm trying to think of, like, guys that actually do this for a living, though, not just, like, have done it in a movie. Yeah. And it's it's different between, like, physical comedy, like, oh, you're standing in front of you and making a thing, other than, like, they were saying, like, these are people that are taking bumps. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to be really... Ric Flair. Ric Flair (laughs) flopping. Well, I guess we'll just have to settle with the the best slapstick comedians of all time. How about that? This is a, is this ranker number one? Charlie Chaplin. You can give it to him. Yeah, He's like the yeah. originator. You know, he literally had buildings pretty much fall on him. Uh, anytime I see those old timey, no uh, safety equipment. But like you know, the the old bit of like they're standing out in front of the house and nope. the wall falls and they go through the winter. Every time, even though that I've seen multiple of those, I'm I just expected to get them to get splatted. Right. Uh, number two, Jim Carrey. I could take that. Uh, number three, I also agree with this one, Lucille Ball. Fantastic. Yeah. I loved I Love oh, Lucy, yeah. and she was hilarious on that. You can almost put anybody on that show in the physical com. Yeah, very Because you know, Ricky did stuff, too, and other than Fred, because Fred was an old fuck. Fred Mertz. Uh, was that his name, Mertz? Yeah, the Mertz. Uh, number four, Rowan Atkinson. I never really watched anything Mr. Bean, but I can just tell from his facial yeah. expressions that guy did physical stuff. 
Uh, number five, which is another one you should think of, uh, the Three Stooges. Yeah, their whole act was physical comedy. Right. Six, Dick Van Dyke was a great one. Yeah, that goddamn Onman. God damn it, Dick Van Dyke, you were a plenty guy. Number seven, Laurel and Hardy. Number eight, Michael Richards. Well, how do we forget Kramer? He was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, number nine, jo- again, the physical comedy too is not just about falling down. Like you think of the movements they make yeah. and just the facial expressions and Kramer busting through the Dude, door. Yeah. Never opened the door. He busts through the yeah. door and his hands going. Uh, John Ritter was another one of my favorites. He was great. Ten, number ten, Chris Farley. Eleven, Tim Conway. I never really watched the Carol Burnett show too much. Did you? Not really. No. Number twelve, Buster Keaton. That's an old one. Thirteen, Carol Burnett. She was good. She was a Mama's Family, right? That's what I yeah. used to watch. Uh, Fourteen, Jerry Lewis. Uh, I remember him from the Nutty Professor, the original one. Fifteen, mm-hmm. Steve Martin's a good one. Remember yeah. the Jerk? Yeah, it's great in that. We'll just do the twenty. Sixteen, Groucho Marx. Seventeen, Abbott and Costello. Eighteen, Harpo Marx. 19, John Cleese, and number 20, Mel Brooks. That's a solid yeah. list. You know who I was just thinking whenever, like, the modern day, whenever you were going through that list of, uh, and back to the Always Sunny, is Charlie Day. He's Charlie always, Day is like, really, yeah, yeah, there's a modern one. He's always doing something. Yeah, just, like, he's always freaking twitching, and, yeah, I was I put Charlie Day up there as uh, one of the modern ones. There's not it, too many modern ones I can think of off the top of my head, but I don't watch a lot of physical comedies yeah. anymore. It's, well, especially considering how he has a movie coming out where I'm pretty sure he doesn't say a, a single word. word through the whole thing. So Yeah. Yeah, so that's our list. If you folks want to entertain us with, uh, I don't know, who you think are some physical comedians that are out now that are younger than 40 that we should check out, I would be interested in that. You can reach us at DPW Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also on YouTube. If you comment on there, I'll get back to you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, Spencer, he is on uh, OnlyFans. What are you, the... I'm the queen of queefers or something. The queefer queen of Queensland. Yeah. How do you queef with a, a pee-pee? The <laughs> oh. whole turd comes out your pee-hole. How did that happen? There's some tubing that's not connected, right? The wires got crushed. <laughs> You're not supposed to cross the wires. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me at calebjamesk.com, and I still have big publishing news that I can't announce until it airs, and I'm really upset about that because I'm going to get lots of money when it does. Mm. <laughs> I can say that. I don't know if I said this before, but I'm going to get 125 bucks for a yeah. short story. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, so anyway, you can check us out um, and maybe leave us some comments and likes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sore for that stuff. We haven't yes. gotten any in a while. I kind of need it. Need Jones and I need it to go on. Our numbers have been going up, so I know you're listening. Maybe you don't listen this long, so you never know where to check us. Maybe. Maybe, Maybe. You drop out as soon as Spencer talks. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, anyway, we will check you next week, and until then, have a great day or a pleasant evening. Mm-hmm.